Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Have you ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Yes, and I do not do very well at that game because I can never think of a good lie. A good lie. I have some random stuff that could be believable and yeah. could be not. Yeah, I um, just have trouble thinking of things that are exciting enough to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today, that segues into what we're going to talk about today, which is all about the truth, no lies. Mm. So why don't you share with us why we chose this topic today? Well, back in November of last year, we interviewed Dr. Bill Cook. And if you would like to hear that, I forget what episode number it was, but... I think it was episode 11, but I will link it in the show notes. Yes, and so you can go back and hear that one if you like. Um, But he talks about five characteristics of a healthy church. And we were trying to think of topics that we would like to talk about on episodes for our podcast. And we started thinking about Dr. Cook's um, words of wisdom there, those five characteristics of a healthy church. And so he mentioned those as truth worship missions community and evangelism and so we thought let's just pick one of those and focus on what that would look like in a local church and we might make this a series an irregular series like with our (laughs) movies you miss we'll just randomly do one every once in a while we're all about irregular irregular. we don't want to commit we have commitment (laughs) issues people we can't commit to regular yeah we unfinish everything you get a podcast every other week so that's about as regular as <laughs> you're as good get. as you're gonna get right now <laughs> but maybe we'll focus on each one of these at some point so we thought today we're gonna look at what does truth look like as a characteristic of a healthy church what does that look like in your local church especially today we have an influence as a local church on our culture And it's imperative that the local church, if they're being faithful to Christ, if they're being faithful to scripture, that they are valuing and upholding biblical truth. And so that's very important today when people are deconstructing their faith. And when we say deconstructing, if you've never heard that before, that's a buzzword in Christian circles or even in non-Christian circles of people who at one point claim to be Christians and then they start picking apart everything they've ever believed in. I think at one point deconstruction wasn't as negative because that means you would reconstruct it. So you deconstruct it down to the the pieces and then put it back together into something brand new, which can be good or bad because if you build it into something Mm -hmm. crazy, then it's not true Christianity. It's kind of a phenomenon right now. It's Mm -hmm. become a little bit of a buzzword. I will link a blog post that I wrote about it. Yeah. Um, and quoted some solid biblical teachers about it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the local church is getting a bad rap. Mm-hmm. But also the local church may or may not be doing what they need to be doing and teaching their truth. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that the local church today upholds scriptural truth. So our one single thought is, very simply put, whatever is true Because according to Philippians 4, 8, we are to set our minds on whatever is true. And I'll read that verse right here. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we can pull from that, that we are to set our minds, we are to center our hearts and focus our church purpose on truth, scriptural truth, not just your own truth and what's true to you. (laughs) Not live your truth. Not living your truth. (laughs) So that's what our one single thought today is whatever is true. Whatever is true. (laughs) Thanks, Johnny. (laughs) Or no, thanks, Ed. (laughs) I have to do that because that makes me feel like Ed McMahon. Okay, let's start what the Bible says about truth. I think any time that we're going to talk about what are characteristics of a healthy church, you got to start with the scripture. You got to start with the Bible, which is the truth. So I'm going to read a few passages. The first one is in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he says, If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness... He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So this passage talks a lot about false doctrine and false teaching that does not agree with what Jesus taught. Paul's reminding us that our, our truth comes from what Jesus taught. And we know Jesus is God. He came to earth to dwell among us and he speaks truth. The next passage is from 2 Timothy 4 verses 2 through 4. And it says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So this passage kind of speaks to what Heather was talking about earlier, that a lot of people are deconstructing in such a way that they just want to hear what they want to hear. They don't want to hear sound doctrine. So guess what? I'm going to reconstruct what I feel is the truth, and it does not fall in line with what the Bible says. And that in in these days, they just want to hear what they want to hear. And then the last passage drives home the way Jesus described himself, which is, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus came in the book of John, at the beginning, John chapter 1, talks about how Jesus was the word, and the word is truth, and Jesus is truth. And so when we talk about truth in the local church, or truth as an important characteristic of the local church, we have to remember that it's very important that we're teaching truth and that that truth is being preached and taught in the local church. If you were to pick a church, let's say, let's, if we were to look at this episode as you're somebody who's trying to discern, how do I find a good church that teaches and preaches Mm -hmm. the truth? First thing you might do is you may go online and listen to one of their sermons on YouTube or on a podcast just to see what they, they say. And you can tell pretty quickly by what you hear in a sermon, whether or not the church is preaching and teaching the truth. What they're saying from the word. Are they referencing scripture? Or are they just kind of having a nice little speech about the good things in life? So Heather, let's let's talk about that. When it comes to a pastor preaching the truth, Mm -hmm. what are the various ways 
that he can do that. Well, the most important thing, and disclaimer, we're not instructing pastors how to preach. That's not what no. we're doing here. We're just pulling from <clears throat> scripture what we what we understand. But it's very important that the pastor, the preacher, sticks to what scripture is really saying, that he's not reading in his own interpretation. So what we defined a few episodes ago as eisegesis, so the t-shirt that says just say no to eisegesis, mm-hmm. If you missed that one, go back to our gift guide. I'll link that in the show notes. Yes. The preacher should stick to bringing out what the text means in context. So exegesis, you can define that as the exposition or the explanation of a text based on careful objective analysis. So you are really looking at that text, bringing out of it what it's actually saying interpreting it based on what the author would have meant. You can't get into the author's mind to understand what he was thinking, but you can understand from the text, reading that in context with the surrounding text. And then if you really want to get into deep study, understanding the background of the book or the letter that you're reading, really anything, not just the Bible, but even just historical writings or even the law or anything that the the constitution any kind of document or even just a letter from your grandma uh. you want to make sure you understand what the person is actually saying you're going to read it around you know read the context of the passage and then if you really are wanting to be accurate looking at the original languages so looking at the hebrew and the greek what were those words how are those words used what is the, the meaning behind the word what is the definition of the term so that's for deep study for people who have actually been trained in greek and hebrew which i have not but the regular person can do it just by reading different translations of the bible that are reputable and then reading in context and understanding what what's being said around that passage reading it not just picking one verse out of the air but reading it in context those are ways you exegete the text that's just an example of that and in contrast like i said eisegesis is based on a subjective non-analytical reading so basically means leading into so that means the interpreter injects his own ideas into the text the person makes the text mean whatever he or she wants it to mean so we see that a lot today and especially in the the progressive christian circles like even the resurrection they take the resurrection and they're like well it wasn't a real resurrection jesus really didn't resurrect physically it was a spiritual resurrection even those topics you there's people reading into the bible all the time what they what does this mean to me and then they they run with that. So for a preacher, for someone who's bringing the word in front of a congregation, it's very important that they're handling the text correctly and not reading into it what they want it to say or trying to fit it into an agenda. That also is the the style of preaching. So you've got expositional preaching, which is when a pastor will go verse by verse and then get down into the nitty gritty of those words and what was actually being said there. And if your pastor does this, you know that you might be in a book of the Bible for a couple of years because <laughs> they're going verse by verse. But then the opposite of that is topical preaching. And I think there's a place, a time and place for topical preaching. So topical preaching is when the preacher will pick a topic. So mm-hmm. say marriage, and they'll base the sermon on marriage on that topic. Mm-hmm. And then they'll pick out verses that fit it. It's not necessarily 
expositional because they're not really parsing the meaning of each word in the verse, but they're pulling in these verses to support the topic. So that's the opposite of that. And expositional preaching, if you're doing it verse by verse, word by word, if you're going straight through and you're committed to sticking with it straight through a chapter or straight through a book, you're going to hit some hard topics depending on where you're at. So you might get into some so say there's some verses in Romans, so in Romans 1, talking about um, homosexuality. So you're going to have to hit those hard topics if you're doing expositional preaching, and you're going to have to look at what it actually is saying. And so to be faithful to biblical truth, you can't avoid those hard topics because we need to know what God is saying to us through his word. So if he's saying something specific about a topic that people generally want to avoid, Another one is money. People don't like to hear about money. They don't want to mm-hmm. they don't want people asking for their money or they don't want to be guilted into giving money. And so those topics have to be approached a certain way. But if you're preaching through expositionally, then you're going to have to address those topics because you're because there's going to come up. It's just in the verses there. So it almost forces you to do that, but it's good. It's good for people to hear what the word is really saying and what scripture, the whole of scripture is saying to people. But it does have to be done in a certain way that will soften people's hearts or break their hearts for their own sin or convict them on something or get their attention, get them excited about what God's word is saying. So Rose, obviously preaching isn't the only avenue of sharing truth um, within the local church. What about small groups in the local church? So depending on your denomination, these can look different. If you grew up uh, like Heather and I did in the Southern Baptist world, that it was probably called Sunday school, even as an adult. A lot of churches have gone away from that. We mentioned here our, our small groups at our church on Sunday morning are called BFGs, Bible Fellowship Groups. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about how small groups in our church help in aiding truth teaching so we are in a Sunday morning small group at BFG and right now every adult BFG is going through a study in the book of John and we're doing that expositionally mm-hmm. and we are just beginning to start the second half of it actually but it's been good because we're seeing an overview and the difference in the small group setting is we're not necessarily going through every chapter and verse, but we are focusing on more foundational passages. Now, there's one thing that is also, I think, important when you're a church that's trying to teach the truth is that you have a a good protocol in place for allowing people to teach. So our church is not going to put anybody in the role of teacher in a small group Mm-hmm. that hasn't proved themselves faithful first and been vetted by our leadership. Now, another word on teaching with our church and the way we believe the Bible teaches, as women, we don't teach men. Um, yeah. We only teach women. And I'm sure there may be some of you all out there that have just had a big gasp, like, mm-hmm. what? But we definitely believe that's what the Bible teaches, that women are not to instruct men. We realize that women write books that men read or Mm -hmm. they might listen to this podcast and learn from us but in a church setting where we are under the authority of a pastor that's what we believe so we're a hundred percent in agreement with that I i want people to know that we support that and we believe what the bible teaches about that yeah 
We are not bitter women that feel we're being oppressed in our church at all. Uh, we have lots of opportunities to teach and serve in the church. There's a great need for women to teach women and serve women. So I want to make that caveat because as you listen to this, you might think, well, I bet those girls are must be feeling oppressed. Not at all. Not mm-hmm. one bit. Right. Because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. So in choosing teachers, we have some pretty strict policies. Now, on Wednesday nights, we have what are called D-groups or discipleship groups. And those groups, they act a little differently than our Sunday morning groups. Those are multi-generational. Now, Heather and I are in a class Mm -hmm. of ladies that are multi-generational. We have from, what, 1920? I think 18 is the youngest we have. Yeah, 18 all the way up to 75, Mm -hmm. 70, something like Mm -hmm. that. So we're pretty multi-generational, but most of our Sunday morning classes are made up of people in the same, around the same age range. Wednesday night, our discipleship groups meet. We try to mix up the ages so we can learn from each other. They're gender specific, so they're all women or all men. And instead of going through scripture study, because we get truth from the pulpit, truth in our small groups on Sunday, we decide to go through a book. And uh, it's a book that has been vetted by our leadership that helps us in a more of a Christian life application way. So for example, our ladies are going through a book uh, about everyday faithfulness. How do we stay faithful in the everyday life? Men are going through a book about the gospel at work and how do they share the gospel at work. So those are a little different because they are more topical driven than than our Mm -hmm. sermons or our Bible studies on Sunday morning. But they serve another purpose that they do present the truth because as I said, Our leadership, we vet those books to make sure that they're not speaking heresy and making sure that the authors are not supporting something that's unbiblical. So we're very careful about that as well. And the importance of small groups, which we'll get to on another installment of this irregular series, (laughs) provides us relationship and community. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you get to know and you get to know people in a large church in that small group setting. So Heather, how do we communicate truth in the worship music we sing? Obviously, mm-hmm. during a worship service, the pastor preaches the word, but what about the music that we sing? At our church, Ninth and Baptist Church, we make sure that the music, the lyrics of the music is theologically rich. We do sing some some songs that, that are more modern, that praise courses and stuff, but we also have songs that people have written And our praise team, I believe, have written a few Mm -hmm. songs. And we pull from the old hymns as well. The church lingo is a blended worship service. That's kind of how it is. So it's a a mix of different types of hymnody and praise and worship music. Our worship pastor does a good job at making sure that our music is biblically sound. So making sure what you sing, you know, the tune might be great. And I can think of a few songs on mainstream radio, Christian radio right now that are very popular Christian worship songs, but they are theologically weak or not theologically sound. So in the music we sing, making sure that the what you're saying lines up with scripture and not being afraid to find songs or to write songs, if that's what you do, that pull directly from scripture and bring in theological concepts that are solid and not being afraid to use those. So for example, talking about the blood of Christ and how important that is and how it, if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, you know, that we, we, we would still be in our sin and talking about sacrifice and those for a contemporary person, 
I mean, there's people, there's some churches that don't like to talk about blood and sacrifice and death because it's negative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But without that, there can be no salvation. You know, if Mm -hmm. Jesus had not died, if he had not resurrected, there would be no Christianity. So it's very important that those things are sung about, that we talk about them and sing them and praise God for that, to speak truth to to the congregation through worship, not being afraid to go into the theological doctrine within the music itself, and then even talking about our own sin in the songs and how we, it's not just about how great life is with God. There's so many great uplifting songs out there, but we also need to remember who we are before Christ and how Without Christ, we we have no hope. There's no there's no hope of salvation. You know, Heather, I really like songs. You were talking about how we need to be reminded of where we were before Christ and after mm-hmm. Christ in our music. I love that, and I also enjoy songs that talk about what Christ has done and what He will do. I like the song in Christ Alone because it talks about how He is my hope. He is my cornerstone. He's my solid ground. Talks about how He came as a helpless child and was crucified. And then the final verse is probably my favorite, Mm -hmm. which talks about how I have no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Now this right here is my mantra, my life phrase. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Yep. And then the next lines say, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. And that phrase of no one will ever pluck me out of his hand is straight from scripture. Yeah. That song sort of builds. As you sing it, it builds. And I love that. Mm-hmm. So, Heather, I'm just going to be the devil's advocate. If somebody's looking for a church... I know what your answer is to this, so try to think uh-huh. unbiasedly. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then I'd be saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm looking for a church. I want to find a church, and I, you know, I want to know: Are they preaching the word truthfully? They're speaking the truth. Is their music solid theologically? How much weight would you put on either one of those? What would you weigh heavier if you're going into a church and you're like, well, the preaching is solid, but the music kind of stinks, or the music's really solid, but the preaching is mediocre is that a an irony or which one do you think people would would, should focus on more if i was in that situation if i was the first time at a church and i was trying to figure out where they were on things first of all i would have done research about it before i even went right exactly (laughs) knowing me but i think i would want this the preaching to be solid first I mean, the music is equally important, I believe, but sometimes I think the words of a song can go over people's heads, mm-hmm. which can be good or bad, but sometimes it's just a maybe the worship pastor's having an off day or an mm-hmm. off week and picked songs that weren't probably the best. Or if you're being really picky and it's, you just don't like the music or you don't like the way they sing or something like that, but especially in the pulpit, but then also in the Bible study groups, as long as the word is being preached there and taught there soundly, then that would make me want to come back and mm-hmm. give it another chance for the worship. Now, if the, the worship music was way off, I don't know if you would be in a situation where the, the preaching would be super solid and then the theology and the music would be way, way off. Well, true. I but, would agree with that. But yeah. I think if that was the case, then maybe talk to the pastor, talk to a staff member and say, hey, I know I really love 
the way you bring the truth of the word here, but I noticed some of the songs you're singing that are, they're just not right. They're the things that they're singing or the lyrics are just, they don't match up with what you're saying in the pulpit. And what's the deal with that? Mm -hmm. And maybe there's reason, or maybe they made a mistake or (laughs) I don't know, but I wouldn't be afraid to ask questions about if there's a dichotomy there, if there's a, there's two ends of a spectrum there and you're not sure. Not the, the music seems pretty solid and the preaching is way off. Uh, I would probably be out the door because mm-hmm. I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of popular songs out there and the worship pastor might pick a song because it's popular or because it's well known, like Amazing Grace. I mean, how many times you hear that on TV in, in movies and stuff and people right. don't really know what they're singing. So mm-hmm. depending on the preaching to be solid over the music initially but mm-hmm. hopefully they would both line up. What about you? I think I would definitely be on the side of the of preaching. The preaching needs to be solid. And I think I could deal with the music as long, and, and I'm like you, I don't think we would ever see it in a church where it was way off um, and the preaching was solid. So I agree. I agree with you. So Rose, we've talked about truth as it fits within the local church, but part of the success of that comes on a personal level, how we do it personally, how we seek truth personally. So how do individual members of a local church contribute personally in ensuring that the truth is part of their daily lives? The way we do that is is our own personal devotion time with the Lord and talk about a hot button for us. I mean, we, Heather and I oh. share on a regular basis um, as accountability where we struggle uh, with this. I think each person that comes together in the corporate church life should have been spending time with the Lord on a daily basis. And when I say that, I'm talking about reading your Bible every day, Mm -hmm. prayer, and that's tough sometimes. I think we've got a lot of things on our plates that we do, and Mm -hmm. many times that gets shoved to the bottom. And so I think we almost have to schedule time every day to do it. And it doesn't have to be this hour-long thing where you've lit candles and you're sitting (laughs) in this big chair and you've got a huge cup of coffee and you're doing it like in the ideal circumstances. Unless you need a huge cup of coffee. Well, that's true. We all love a good huge cup of coffee. But it could be that you're doing it as you're going about your daily tasks. You may be listening to the Bible or you may be listening to a sermon on a podcast or whatever. And prayer time, the the same way, you may have prayer time while you're washing your dishes or folding your clothes or whatever, giving your kids a bath. All those things you have to work into your daily life. And I can attest to the fact that I I have struggled with keeping my focus on Christ and that Mm -hmm. being in his word every day, even if it's for a short time, has definitely helped me. In our church, uh, we are doing this year a church-wide Bible reading plan called the F260. And I'll link Mm -hmm. a copy of that in the show notes in case you would like to do it. You can start at any time and it's 52 weeks of reading 260 foundational chapters in the Bible. So if reading the whole Bible in a year is daunting to you, then you can do this and get the foundational chapters Mm -hmm. in and it's not quite as daunting. And that's really helped me. So I've opted to read. There's five days a week. I've opted to read them at nighttime. So Monday through Friday, um, as I, right before I get ready for bed, because mm-hmm. I'm a little more together in the evening. And that's really helped me focus on, on Christ through that. And I really believe that if we do our own personal devotion time with the Lord and have it on a daily basis, we're going to really glean more from our 
worship attendance at church, Mm -hmm. from the worship service, from small groups at church. If we come without anything, then here we are, you know, at a corporate worship service unprepared to really worship him. And I believe that's why that's really important. So Heather, how do members of a church foster truth among each other? How do we do that between each other? One thing is that we, we are to speak truth to each other. I think part of that you mentioned was accountability, keeping each other accountable Mm -hmm. on reading the Bible and praying and and growing in your faith and growing with Christ. That's very important to have that relationship with somebody that you can go to and like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with this today or where's this verse that I'm looking for? I do that with you a lot because I'm not very good at remembering remembering references. (laughs) The addresses, yes. But having someone that you can bounce things off of and and confess sin to, someone who's going to speak truth to you appropriately and not just shrug off your sin or tell you everything's going to be fine, you're fine just the way you are, you know, not to... We just talked about that. talked about that last time. Mm -hmm. And also not being afraid to talk about the hard stuff with each other and confronting... If you see a brother or sister that you're hopefully close to, or if maybe if you're in a leadership position at church, or maybe you have a relationship with a a friendship or someone who might be in your Bible study that you see who is in a sin that they may not be aware of, knowing how and when to appropriately confront them about sin, but doing that in a certain attitude so you're not coming off as unnecessarily judgmental or harsh or that you're condemning them. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. So if you're confronting a brother or sister, a good friend, someone that you're close to, and I'm I'm saying that because you don't want to just run up to some random person at church without knowing what's going on and just confront them in a sin. There needs to be an appropriate method of approaching someone about that prayerfully. And and here it talks about this in in Galatians 6, 1, that you're to do this with a gentle spirit. So being careful that you're not also tempted. So knowing that you could also be in that very same sin that you're confronting them on. We're all sinners and we're all prone to sin. And so it's important that you're going to them with the spirit of graciousness and an offering that, you know, that Christ has died for your sins and you don't have to do this. And I've seen this and I'm really worried about you and what's going on here and seeing if that they're even repentant about it. So just feeling them out more than just laying into them with accusations. So that's, there's a certain way to go about it, but that's speaking truth about the hard things and being willing to address those things. Also just encouraging your friends or encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ um, with the words of someone is down in the dumps and just saying, Hey, look, you know, we've got hope here and this is what the Bible says about it. We can, we can go to that. Somebody's dealing with anxiety and going to Philippians four and saying, Hey, you know, look, we don't have to be anxious. He tells us not to be anxious. The Lord says we should trust him with everything and not to be worried. I think it's good to, to look at the local church as more than just the pastor in the pulpit. Uh-huh. You know, we started off talking about the pastor, then small groups, then our individual, but then the importance of community, which again, sort of is jumping into one of our other characteristics we'll talk about at a future episode. But that's really what community is about, is to mm-hmm. help us stay um, in communion with the Lord. It mm-hmm. would be much more difficult for me to stay committed without others that are cheering 
me on or yeah. holding me accountable or that I could talk mm-hmm. to about things because I, you can't live on an island. We all should have figured that out during COVID that we need other people mm-hmm. and we need other people, not just for the good stuff, for the hard stuff that when things need mm-hmm. to be addressed or whatever, when you are in a group of people who love each other and we live by the truth, then when we're not living the way we need to live, mm-hmm. we need that person to speak the truth. Yeah. Another way that it helps to have an accountability partner that you can go to and like, hey, am I reading this correctly? I read this scripture and I'm not sure what it's saying. So maybe if you are in a godly marriage and you're a woman, you know, you can go to your husband and talk through that kind of thing. But if you're a single woman like us, you know, we, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll go to each other. Mm -hmm. We'll go to uh, Dr. Cook and to other solid people that we can look to, to help us interpret scripture. But Mm -hmm. having, if if you're in your own personal study and trying to understand what scripture is saying and not just going off what you think it means, but really seeking out others interpretations or seeking out people to help you understand what the, what the scripture is saying. So you're, not reading it incorrectly mm-hmm. all right so these are just a few things that come to our minds when we talk about the local church and how it should be faithful to truth to biblical truth and so let's just move forward with pursuing whatever is true whatever is true okay <laughs> what's our one random thought rose so my one random thought today is it's not easy being green oh yeah she's singing again yes it's not easy being green So, despite their name, oranges are winter fruits that they really need cool weather to get their color, their orange color. Hmm. So, as the fruit, I didn't know this, but as the fruit matures on the tree, it develops chlorophyll, which is green, and it's vital for photosynthesis and it allows the fruit to absorb energy from the sunlight. Colder nights cause the fruit to lose that green pigmented chlorophyll and develop their orange, deep orange color, similar to the leaves we see on trees in the autumn season. Hmm. So if you come across an orange that is green tinged, this doesn't mean it's not ripe. Rather, when the weather warms up again in late spring and early summer, the citrus tends to re-green to protect itself from sunburn. I didn't know oranges could get sunburned. I didn't either. We've learned the truth about oranges. The, the truth, truth about oranges. That's right. I mean. It's not in the Bible, but. Yeah. It's not it's like truth. the truth, but it's the truth about oranges are they could be ripe and be green. Well, I learned the truth about Ricky. What is the truth? What is our, what is our one Ricky thought today? <laughs> You know how I just did a little segue right I now. like that segue. <laughs> well, my one thought is not actually what I was about to say, but the truth I've learned about him is that that cat is, he gets afraid, but he's not as afraid as I thought he was. Goes back to that macho cat. He is kind of a macho cat. So mm-hmm. my one Ricky thought today is, let me at him, let me at him. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday was March 3rd, mm-hmm. and we had a major storm come through. I guess through all of the eastern United States has some form of crazy storm. And so we, in Kentucky, had Category 1 hurricane force winds come through, which we haven't had since, I think, 2008 when Hurricane Ike came through here. Yes. 
and so it was a little crazy day. I mean, it it rained Schools all day. Were Schools were closed. I mean, it was it was insane. Mm-hmm. And so we had rain all day, and then crazy wind, just straight line winds all day, like 50, 60 miles an hour. Trees walk knocked down, power lines knocked down. People are without power right now. It's just been kind of nuts. Thankfully, mm-hmm. Rose and I are okay. We're okay. We have yeah. power. We're in the closet. We're, yeah, we're sitting in the closet here. But Ricky, you know, I thought he'd be afraid because it was really noisy. The wind was howling and the lights were flickering and it was thundering. It was just kind of a crazy day. He's not scared at all. And then I noticed he's sitting by the window. So the window is even rattling from the wind. I'm like, okay, he's not, I don't believe he's not afraid of this. Well, then he sees the leaves and twigs and branches and everything blowing around outside. And that cat is going crazy trying to catch catch all the leaves that are blowing up against the window thinking that there's some kind of animal I guess but it was just so funny because I I was so sure he was going to be afraid like hiding under the bed or something he's no he's not he's trying to bust through the window to catch this debris that's flying around outside and it just was really funny to me because the macho cat came out and he was ready to go go for it go attack the creatures that were trying to break into his window when I texted Heather to check on her yesterday, I asked if they were doing okay, and she admitted to me that she thinks Ricky would be a storm chaser if he was a human. <laughs> yes, he would. Not afraid at all. So yeah, he was, let me at him, he was ready to go catch all the, the leaves outside. So, we'll end with our one single question. Okay. So, Heather, when was the time where you had to discern the truth in a situation? Well, I'll pull one from a more recent example. Probably everyone's heard about the Asbury Revival. Um, If you haven't heard about it, you probably have not been listening to the news or watching the news or you don't live in Kentucky, but go to uh, Google and look it up. And there's been, I guess it was two or three week long revival mm-hmm. they had at Asbury University. They're in yeah. a little town called Wilmore, which is outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. But anyway, there's a lot of questions about that. There's, if you've been watching it on social media or in the news, people are trying to understand what was happening there, especially non-Christians and trying to, to figure out the deal. And it, was it real? Was it just emotionalism or were people really being changed? And I've read and heard some opinions on it. One that I really appreciated was from Elisa Childers. She's a podcaster and a speaker, and she's into apologetics and talks a lot about the culture and progressive Christianity and stuff like that. And she actually went to the revival just to kind of see what it was like because she was in the area speaking. And she had a good point. She recorded an Instagram video, I think, and she was saying that um, essentially, you know, we don't really know at this point. It's too soon to know whether the whole Holy Spirit was really truly moving among people, which obviously there are people who went there, had an experience and felt like their life is different. But right now, I think it's ended. The The actual revival service is over. And so now they, this is when the rubber will hit the road in terms of, are these people truly changed or were they just, just there for an emotional experience? And there's a lot of people that came in from out of town all over the world to come to this revival And so her point was, you know, essentially you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say it was all fake or it was all legitimate because you don't really know what the motives of those people were when they were there. And certainly there were people who were changed by going there, but we don't know for sure. And you can't really know that right in the middle of it because you do have this emotional experience. And so I think 
that whole thing, discerning truth, just thinking about what's true there, what's really biblically sound. And I honestly did not go back and I haven't listened to it. I know the sermon, I think, that kicked it off is posted online. I, I think listened. so, Have you yeah. listened to it? I have not. I've not listened to it. And they've about, had this happen before. And yeah, had a, a, many times, actually. Have a change on the on yeah. campus. Um, I don't doubt there's good intentions behind it, and you know, but it's, you know, being mm-hmm. careful and understanding what's really going on there and being discerning and there's two extremes you have to avoid you can't say that oh this is great and everything's wonderful and these so many people their lives are changed and and god's brought revival on everyone and then so all these people that have come are going to live brand new lives and completely different and the other extreme is to say oh it's all fake it's all emotional um this wasn't real people were just coming because they wanted a spectacle so you have to find a balance there and, and not be too quick to write it off. Yeah. So that's, and I'm still trying to figure that out too. And just that's something I've been thinking about. Just how do you know the difference on those kind of things? Because I, when I was a younger Christian, I, a lot of my experience was based on emotion. Mm-hmm. Like if I was a solid Christian, my walk with Jesus was based on how I was feeling, mm-hmm. which isn't always right. Because your feelings can lie to you. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we also saw a lot of other schools, quote unquote, break out into revival as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I think time will tell if the change, if it's made a change in the kids. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's a new movie out now, Jesus Revolution. That's based on the group that started a new church out Mm -hmm. on the West Coast. And a lot of that came out of just a revival, quote unquote, that happened among some people. And it started a whole revolution. Mm-hmm. So we just don't know. But I agree with you. We can't go to the extremes. That drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. People who are so quick to write it off drive me crazy. And people that immediately think that this is the answer to the world's woes. You know, we yeah. don't know yet. We, You know, we just don't know. Yeah. Well, what about you, Rose? So recently there was a debate put on by, I believe, the Gospel Coalition between Jen Wilkin and and Dr. Pennington at Southern Seminary on homeschool, private school versus public school. And Jen Wilkin is one of my heroes. I love her. She's great as far as a biblical teacher. And I've heard her story. I know where she's come from, and which really lights my fire even more because she has a very similar background as I do. And she's just solid. I like her. So she was on the public school side. And I saw the posts about it, but I never listened to the debate. So a friend of mine messaged me and said, hey, Rose, what do you think about this? And it was a hmm. snippet that was pulled from the debate where she made a comment about how if Christians pull their kids out of public school, are we truly loving our neighbor kind of Uh thing. Now I'm paraphrasing and probably paraphrasing wrong, but that was the gist. And so before I answered my friend, I said, I've got to watch the whole thing. It's an hour long, but I got to listen to it. I got to watch it because I can't go off of a snippet that was tweeted and take possibly not take it in context as we've been talking about this whole episode. Context counts here. Context counts here, people. <laughs> so I listened to it and it was a really good debate. I agreed with both sides. They both were very gracious to each other. Jen, mm-hmm. all of their kids went to public schools. They had five kids. Dr. Pennington has had six kids. They went to, either they were homeschooled or went to a cottage type situation. But they both had very good points. Mm-hmm. They both said things that I didn't agree with. So I just, you know, I replied to her and kind of expressed, this is what I feel is correct and what I don't feel is correct based on scripture. Keep in mind, my friend is a homeschool mom. So mm-hmm. 
when she heard that tweet and heard it was from Jen Wilkins, somebody she admires, it sort of was like, whoa, you know, red flag. So I told her, I said, you know, I don't believe anything was that was spoken was anti-public school or anti-homeschool or mm-hmm. private school. I think they talked a lot about your certain circumstances and that families need to make that decision. Um, What Jen Wilkin did say was that if you're not going to have your children in public school, there are ways for you to be involved to help the public school system in your community. Mm -hmm. Whether that be, you know, go to the board meetings or, you know, your tax dollars are paying, you've got a voice. And so I spent a lot of my day that day watching it, thinking through it. I don't know. I felt really refreshed by doing it because it challenged me. It made me, you know, really get serious about watching this and watching it and listening to it as someone who has, would have children. I don't have children, so I can watch it without the emotional tie of, this is how I raised my children. So that's good enough for me. It's good enough for you. I could look at it unbiasedly, which is kind of a perk of being a single without any children is that I have no skin in the game. Right. But that was really a good, a good thing that was a time for me to really discern what was truth and what was not. And so it was interesting because not long after that, Jen Wilkin posted a thread on Twitter explaining, here's what I did say and what I didn't say. Let me clarify. Cause she was getting a lot of, because of the clips that were being posted. Yeah. She was getting a lot of, I don't want to say hate, clap but back. a lot of clap back. Mm-hmm. from from that and that's what happens when you take something out of context or you don't listen to the whole thing so i can apply that same principle to scripture so exactly yeah all right well that was a great episode rose and we are going to wrap it up for today and we'll be back in two weeks on march 28th for our next episode so until next time don't follow your heart follow god We hope you've enjoyed One Single Thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 